the whole purpose of what we do is is to provide value and solve problems. Like we're, we're in the business of helping people. And I think this uh, in its essence is again in an in an, a really unfortunate situation but the overall you know thing taken away from this is being able to help and provide value in a scenario where it it, it feels if i if i was the seller like the sky was absolutely falling and my world is imploding in All right. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, it is just Scott and I sitting across the table out here in the studio. And today, I'm really excited because I'm not even fully uh, filled in on this crazy ass deal breakdown that we're going to do today uh, over on Yale Avenue. Correct yep. me if I'm wrong. Um, so, Scott, before I get into what what I think is kind of would be kind of a cool way to you know, get into this podcast. How are you doing this morning? Are the juices flowing? Are we ready to have a freaking kick-ass pod? I'm ready. I woke up at four in the morning. Mac had uh, gotten sick overnight and defecated all over his crate and made my house stink. That's why I was on the hike this morning because I was already awake. How about you? I was not on the hike this morning. I, uh... I, I'm rocking and rolling, so this will be a good podcast, dude. Um, so let's step set the stage. We're doing a deal breakdown over on a deal that you guys uh, did and completed over on Yale, and I want to set the stage. This was probably I don't know. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Five weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago ish it wrapped up like right around the time of our race so late august oh, crap yeah so time even flies. longer damn okay well <clears throat> i'm sitting uh i'm just chilling at home and i it's got it's later in the evening probably six maybe 5 30 but 6 6 15 and i get a call from you which isn't out of the blue right we're always hitting right. each other up so i answer i'm like dude what's going on and he and you go bro I can't fill you in on all the details right now, but shit is going crazy. I'm out here at this deal trying to lock up this contract. Oh, wait, the cops just showed up. I got to go. I'll, I'll fill you in later. Hang up. And I'm like, oh, shit. I know tomorrow morning when I come in, I am going to get the rundown. So that was a, what, a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> yes. Just a random weekday afternoon, man. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about how the deal came in before we get to how that whole appointment went? Set yeah. the stage on on where this deal came from and kind of set the stage. I'm going to set a caveat here at the start. <laughs> I don't love talking about deals all the time, especially recent deals, because we're often dealing with people having the worst day of their life. And I always consider the fact that that person may hear this podcast. And I don't want to make fun of them having a very hard time but also these kinds of experiences often have comedic moments and often have a lot of drama that is very interesting for people to know about and know how to solve. So that's a caveat. Second caveat is that this whole experience was like a fever dream. It was ridiculous in nature. So I may get some of the details wrong. I will do my absolute best to recite exactly what I remember, but I may have to make some assumptions. So... Friday afternoon, you know, 
This is like the the Netflix show. <laughs> Four days prior, <laughs> Friday afternoon, a lead came in from a referral source. It's uh you know somebody that's referred us quite a few deals. Not much on the lead, just pretty much the address. Uh, like hey, this house seems like uh, it needs work. Give them a call. X, Y, and Z. I'm like dope. Let's do it. And I just put hot lead. Looking at the address, this is down by Fresno City College, an area that we know well. We know it's worth quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do our normal process. Jade calls our acquisitions manager, sets an appointment. I give her a timeline. I say anytime starting Monday after uh, 10 a.m. She sets it like Monday at lunch. And that's kind of how it started. Like there was nothing that made me super wary about the deal up until that point. Monday comes around and it was kind of a hectic morning. You know how Mondays sometimes you get in and it's like you got a lot of missed emails or a lot of things to do. So I ended up going on this appointment. All I did to prepare was print a contract. That was it. Didn't even look at the contract. I get to the house. I don't even know the seller's name. And I'm told that I'm not meeting the seller. So I'm not really concerned about it. I'm told I'm meeting a family member who's apparently living in the home, maybe causing some issues. That was kind of the context of the phone call earlier in the morning to set the appointment. I show up. I walk up to, to the person I'm meeting and I go, hey, my name's Scott. I'm supposed to meet you here uh, you know, at this time uh, to see the house. And he goes, oh, it's funny. Easy to remember. I'm Scott. I'm the owner. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I was easy. Remember his name. And where things started to get wary... Because it's not nor- unnormal for a seller to be out front instead of in the house, is he turns to me and goes, I have to tell you something before we walk inside. There's a tenant in there. Right as he says there's a tenant in there, the tenant opens the damn front door and he shuts up, like the seller shuts up, whatever he was about to say, and goes, Oh, so and so, meet Scott. It's a hard name to remember. I remember that because I was just like, Okay, Scott, Scott, Scott in my head. And we walk through the house. Like, just a normal appointment. The house is beat up. It's big. It's really dilapidated. Um, it's an older home built in the 20s. It was kind of a historic neighborhood. And I mean, I remember walking through it and just being like, damn, this is a really cool house. This would be a really fun project to work on together. And, you know, chatting up the seller. Turns out we both did, you know, Roger Rockas together. We both did, um, you know, service with our community in, in similar ways. And the appointment ends up taking like an hour and a half. And, and this is around lunchtime. It's all around lunchtime. Yeah. Okay. And I'm wrapping up. I'm late for another meeting with Jade, actually. It's my one-on-one with Jade at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So the appointment must have been at 12 because at one o'clock I text her, I'm, I'm still at this house, hot lead. <laughs> I'll jump on as soon as I get back. And we're in the backyard looking at the pool that's destroyed and they're trying to tinker with it. Oh, it was, it was blue a couple days ago. It's green. It has to be the chlorine, whatever. Trying to get this working. And I go, hey, can I take a walkthrough video, right? So I always tell all the students, take photos while you're talking with the seller, do a walkthrough video after to get the layout yep. and talk through all the points about the house that maybe not be visible, right? So I, I'm talking about what I know about, you know, plumbing, electrical, roof, uh, location, um, Anything like smell, sound, stuff that may not be visible in a video. Mm -hmm. Well, I walk out front and I still have the clip of it. I get four seconds into the video and I notice that there's a cop car sitting across the street. And I'm like, I had just gotten my first speeding ticket in five years. And I'm like, what are the odds that there's a cop 
sitting right behind my car parked just outside of a red zone on a street. Like I was like really nervous. It was about me. And then the cop gets out mid video and goes, Hey Scott. And in my head, I'm like, fuck, I don't know what happened, but I don't know why they're tracking me. He goes, I need to talk to your grandson. Stop the video. I'm like, yo, clearly you've got the wrong Scott. I look like the grandson. And he goes, yeah, no, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know who Scott is, but he's the owner. We got word that there's uh, children playing in the backyard. And I'm like, weird. I was just in the backyard. There's no children. And I go, let me go grab them for you. And at this point, the only conversation that I've had privately with Scott was that he had to tell me something. And I'm like, are there fucking kids in like the basement or something? Like what, what's going on? So I go back and I don't know, put yourself in my shoes. How do you get a seller to leave the tenant to come talk to the owner? And you know, that the owner has some reservation about the tenant. What would you have done? All along a cop sitting out front saying, I need to talk to him. You have no context. It's like, uh, well, Hey, I, I was like, (laughs) okay. So I go back and I was like, yo, uh, somebody's here for you. Of course, the tenant immediately was the first one to walk towards the door. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, slow-mo, my vision dilates, (laughs) like fight or flight gets into effect. Scott walks out there. All of a sudden, tenant turns into Usain Bolt, bolts up the stairs. And oh, forgot a part. There was a prostitute upstairs. Oh, asleep in the bed. I don't know how many people know me personally. I'm a very devout Catholic married guy. I did not want to go in that room. And essentially the tenant was like, no, go in there and take a look, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, make sure that she's like, cover. I don't want to see anything. I don't want to be a part of any of this. And so he runs upstairs into that room and I'm like, oh, I wonder if they're go- he's scared that he's going to get locked up for something like that. I'm making an assumption, but I'm guessing yeah. it was a paid for service. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is why I don't like doing podcasts, bro. I'm, I, it's funny to me. Some people are having the worst day of their life. It was kind of funny. Um, all of a sudden, the seller goes out front. I'm doing my walkthrough video. It's not my business to know what's going on. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm done with the video and I walk back to the entryway and the cops inside talking to the seller. Apparently, there had been some kind of incident where a whole bunch of iPads had been stolen from City College and they had, you know, find my iPhone on them and City, uh, the City College police tracked it back to the house. And so there was a raid on the house for the iPads. Oh, and the tenant had been arrested just a week prior. I think that's what the owner was trying to tell me. And so hour and a half goes by because now he has to defuse me on why the house is still valuable, even though I just had a cop show up during the appointment. Yeah. So finally I, I get him to stop talking. I leave. I say, look, I'm going to call you tomorrow. We're going to set an appointment at a remote location, not my office, not your house, not this home. <laughs> and we're going to talk through everything. But if you want this sold, I will buy it. So Tuesday comes around. I text him in the morning. No response. Text him at noon. No response. So I, I'm like, okay, maybe he's not that serious after all. I'll call him later this afternoon. All of a sudden, out of the blue, it's like, I don't know, three o'clock. Didn't have much on the calendar, except I had a two and a half hour bike ride that I was going to go do. Mm-hmm. I get a call. Oh, I had to take dinner to some family friends. 
I get a call and he's like, uh, this is Scott. I'm at the house. There are 10 police officers, all the neighbors and children and child protective services and code enforcement. I need you to come now. I don't care what the price is. I need you to buy it. Like you came into my life at the right time. I need you to buy it. So I dropped everything I was doing. Happens to be when Jason is in Houston for a podcast. Mm -hmm. So I go down there and I'm like, don't, before I hang up, I'm like, don't let code enforcement board it for you. They're going to charge you a fortune. I will come down there. I'm calling my handyman now. We'll meet you down at the property and fix it. So we go down there. I'm on the phone with the handyman. He's like, okay, I'm at a job. I'm going to leave right now. I'm going to go to this uh, Home Depot. And how many boards do you need? I'm like, okay, it's a big house, like a lot. So to spare us the details, I get down there and I pull up and he's 100% right. It's cops, neighbors, Mayhem. city council member, code enforcement, child protective oh, services, shit. like detectives, everything. And I'm like, I get out and the owner's sitting on the curb and I go, what happened? And he goes, I don't know. I, w- I was walking by the house on my way back from Cup of Joy or wherever and I saw the cops. So I walked over and I was like, okay, weird. So I walk up to code enforcement and they go, hi, you must be the new owner. I'm like, no, I'm Scott Farrow, different Scott. And he goes, oh, well, that Scott just told me you own the house now. (laughs) And I said, okay, I don't, but talk to me like I do. And he goes, so is the seller giving you ownership of the house? And I said, I guess, like, what do you need? Code enforcement walks me around. Hey, there was fentanyl in the house. You know, three guys already got picked up for gun charges. These three women appear to be prostitutes. They're going to walk the streets. All these nine children are getting taken by CPS. The house needs to, the house is condemned. Uh, I've already red tagged it and I need you to have it completely secured by nightfall. And, you know, August, the, the you know, it's sunlight until mid seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Yeah. And I go, okay, my handyman's already getting boards at Home Depot right now. And he goes, okay, well... I don't know if you had to deal with code enforcement before. And I'm like, sadly, I have. And he goes, you know, we need five eighths plywood all around the front, all around the back. At least the first floor has to be done tonight. I will give you some credence. If the second floor is not done tonight, that's okay. When my team comes by tomorrow, if they see the first floor is boarded, that's enough for tonight. Cool. I want the pool drained now. Oh, by the way, PG&E just pulled up. They're pulling the panel. (laughs) Anybody who's done a flip, Panels take like eight months to get installed right now. So that just incurred a ton of fees. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of how I I walked into the situation after meeting this guy once and and really having no clue about the property. Dude, I'm going to piggyback on what you said at the very beginning of the podcast. About Mac? I (laughs) feel... <laughs> no, that would have been the cherry on top, though. Just a ton of dog shit in the house, wouldn't it, bro? Oh. It, it would have fit right in. Um, I feel like the majority of people listening to the podcast know this. For those of you who don't, obviously, it seems like common sense. But we see, you know, when we think about a flip or renovating a house and making it all pretty and nice. Obviously, you know, the normal cliche is looking at shit like on HGTV, right? Where you get all of the work being done, but you get none of the story pre-work starting, right? And all of this heavy lifting, 
all of this shit show going on, dealing with all of these things in a really, uh, like you said, in a really just overall really sad and just bad situation, right? Um, All of the legwork needing to get done before even having a house that's ready to go, ready to start getting in there and demoing, right? And I think like you said, and, and you've shared it a lot that I've seen recently on even your Instagram stories too, which is that investors and flippers in, in particular can get a really bad rap from the community, right? Because, you know, oh, they're going in there, you're, you're you know, just throwing on some paint on the baseboards and, th- you know, painting over holes and you're turning around and you're making a fat ass profit, right? And again, just like in, in anything, there's bad apples, right, out there. But I think the really important thing to keep in mind is a house like this, there is really no scenario in which it makes sense to go about the traditional way of selling your home, which is listing it on the open market, right? You have a seller and and multiple other stakeholders just really in a state of distress, right? All of these other players, the city councilmen, detectives, the police, all of these things to where us being able to provide that value to step in and help solve people's problems, especially when they are, like you said, sometimes one of the worst moments of their lives. It gets worse for the seller. And the story only gets worse. And I think that's just important as we continue the story is the whole the whole purpose of what we do is, is to provide value and solve problems. Like we're, we're in the business of helping people and... I think this, uh, in its essence, is again in an in an, a really unfortunate situation. But the overall, you know, thing taken away from this is being able to help and provide value in a scenario where it 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 feels if I if I was the seller, like the sky was absolutely falling and my world is imploding in. This was the the pinnacle moment of thirty years of distress. Right, this house had been a problem house. When I posted it on Instagram, uh, I posted a quick story just with the video of the cop cars and the house getting boarded. I probably had 30 people go, oh, this is the house on Yale. Everybody knows about this house. I, I mean, there was no secret, secret this house yeah. was a problem. So after talking with the owner and saying, look, they're treating me like the new owner. I don't have a signed contract with you. I'm a licensed agent. I'm not going to break my code of ethics of behaving like an owner if I'm not. I will buy the house from you, but we do need to figure this out today because I'm shelling out a ton of cash right now to make sure that you are in a better spot. And I don't want you to feel like I'm putting pressure on you. You have to make a a wise decision, but you don't have the money to fix the house right now. And code enforcement is telling me that they're gonna have a $30,000 fine on the house Mm -hmm. by tomorrow if this doesn't get started tonight. And I said, I'm gonna shell out six grand right now. I think I ended up shelling out 1500 that night uh, just to get boards and paying my handyman, which shout out to my handyman, Greg. Uh, I think it's extra mile dump, uh, extra mile trash out and hauling. Greg showed up, Johnny on the spot starts working on it. He, his cousin and his sister, he was picking up from school and I'm not allowed to go in the house. Code enforcement's like, you're not allowed in. There's fentanyl in the home. The first floor is flooded. One of the kids must have turned on a sink. 
The the plumbing's all broken. It flooded the first floor. Well, talking with Scott, I'm like, dude, how did they know to come? And he goes, I don't know, because they said it's flooding, but how would they have known that it was flooding without a 911 call? We come to the conclusion, like, we're talking to every cop, every detective. Tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. How did you know to send 10 cops here? And while we're doing that, another dude walks up and asks to use the bathroom. One of the detectives knows him by name and goes, sit down right now. Goes over. That guy has drugs and a gun on him. Has a felony out, a warrant out for felony gun charges. (laughs) He gets picked up and taken. At this point, all the kids are being taken by CPS. I am an intrinsically like very caring person Mm -hmm. and like this had to have been the most emotionally wearing day like that i've had in work because i'm seeing kids being taken i'm seeing guys getting thrown in jail i see women getting sent onto the street which i think is not right you know i'm trying to think like who who can i even help here outside of just scott like there's a lot of people having the worst day of their life right now yeah and you know at that point i got there at 3 15 I had to go take dinner to a family that just had a newborn at five. I'd already ordered the food. And so I go pick it up, take them the food. I tell them what's going on. I have to leave. I go back to the house. I end up being there until nine o'clock at night. And somewhere in the middle of that is when I called you. Jason's out of town. I'm having issues getting Home Depot to take my card over the phone. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) I'm having all these entities like these are your list of things that you have to do before we can, you know, clear you. Fresno PD is like, this is our third visit to the house this week. You're going to have more. Here's, you know, our contact for our district where there's only, you know, five cops in this area. Some of them gave me their personal cells and were like, if I'm not on duty, you can text me and I will send somebody to your house because this is a problem house. I don't want it to burn. And, you know, you know, come to the end of it, uh, you know, I, I turned to Scott and he had just walked me over to all the neighbors and introduced me to all the neighbors as and the they demanded owner. my business card. So now they have my DRE license. They have all these things where I'm claiming to be the owner of a problem property. You know, they could write up a complaint to the DRE about me. I don't know what they'd write it up about, but people are petty and I don't want the DRE to be mad at me um, because an owner is telling them I'm the owner. And I'm explaining to them that I'm not the owner. We're going to be opening escrow and I'll be the owner in a week. But then there's some kind of he said, she said situation. So it's kind of being caught in no man's land, right? When technically in escrow, right? If you are the seller and you're selling your home and you accept an offer from a buyer, they are not the owner just yet you've accepted their offer right to you are the home. still the the person that has all the liability <laughs> all the liability <laughs> and he doesn't have insurance on the house by the way i'm like oh. dude this house could burn any minute this thing is like you need to get insurance now so we hadn't even talked price at this point i'm already out thousands of dollars i've already talked to all these people i have all this stuff and we haven't even talked about price and i when i pulled up i had prefaced it like my offer is going to be a lot lower than you want and he goes, I don't care what the price is. This needs to get done. Okay, fine. Great. So I walk back to him and I go, look, in, in full transparency, I, w- I want you to know I don't want to take advantage of this situation. And I want you to know I'm going to pay you the highest price. I am approved to pay you. At one o'clock, Jason and I had said we'd pay 190 Prior to getting this phone call, prior to any of this, close in a week, that was our deal. Well, I'm now told that there's flooding, the panel is gone, 
The pool needs to get drained, which just got pebble teched two years ago. So it's in good shape. So I didn't budget anything for the pool. And I have a 30, uh, potentially a $30,000 fine from code enforcement that could hit if they just decided they want to cause mayhem. Mm -hmm. Another person to shout out, George with Fresno Code Enforcement, I owe you a lot. You were super helpful. You worked with me. You give Code Enforcement a great name. I do not like Code Enforcement, but if you ever get George, he is super reasonable. Do what he asks, and he will do what he said he'll do. So shout out, George. I walk back to the car with the seller, and I go, I would have paid you $190 four hours ago. That was what I was approved to pay you. Here's what I hear now. I tell him what I hear. I can't go in the house. I can't verify it. And I go, I'm buying this thing now without getting to verify any of the damage. The first floor alone to fix that could be more than 40000 mm -hmm. The pool alone could cause 10000 in damage. Mm -hmm. The panel alone is going to cost me oh, yeah. four extra months of holding time. And you know, I have a potential $30,000 fine from code enforcement. I said, I need a discount. And he goes, okay, what price? And I say, 150 That's what I can afford to offer you. And he goes, okay. So I walk through the whole contract with him like I would any seller that wasn't in this situation. And I go, do you fully understand what you're signing up for? Once you sign this, there's no going back. I'm going to perform at 150 but you can't back out. And he goes, I understand. So we get to the signing line and I go, just to confirm, I'm paying 150 We're closing in seven days. And he goes, 150 You said 190 And I go, Scott, I told you 190 was a few hours ago. We had a 20-minute conversation about why it's lower now. I can only offer you 150 If your number is 190 I'm sorry, but I have to walk. I will work to get that money back from you for the boards and whatnot. But you're going to have to tell all the neighbors that you still own the house. Mm -hmm. And he goes, fine, 150 it is. The price is the price. I told you any price. I'll honor that. We sign. Scott leaves. I'm there until eight or nine. I still have my bike ride to do. I get home exhausted at this point, do my bike ride. And the whole time, all I can think about is just like, damn, I feel like I took advantage of this guy. Like, I know that I gave him the very best price I could afford to offer, but I feel horrible. And this is where having a spouse that's supportive and that's morally upright is helpful. She reminded me like, run the numbers right now in front of me and the numbers penciled that we made $40,000 if we do this flip at 150. And she goes, you would not take this deal in any other circumstance if you didn't feel bad for this guy. And she goes, think about X, Y, and Z people that we had recently talked about that would have taken full advantage and pressed all the way down to maybe 50,000 on the house. And he would have had to sign it. I mean, this guy really had no other option. And she goes, all you can do is offer a price that you're allowed to pay. You know, I work with Jason. Jason and I have to split profits. I can't volunteer to take on a project that's going to take thousands of man hours, tons of money, and has a ton of risk with no upside. We're in a business. We're not a nonprofit. And... That took a while to kind of get used to. You know, I didn't feel great about the situation. I was obviously very disturbed seeing the kids be taken. Mm -hmm. I felt like they were the biggest victims in this situation. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the hard part about the job is that when you're here to save the day, it means that the day was going really bad. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> first time you're hearing about this deal is Monday. 
Tuesday comes around, you're there for dude, how five, the full half day. Five and a half hours. And then I that was including me driving to Chico's and dropping off the food real quick. <laughs> and then coming back. So you end the night with getting a signed contract. I assume escrow's open the next day. Escrow period is a week, right? How how does the escrow period go? Is is everything horrible? <laughs> <laughs> the, that was the hardest week of an escrow I've ever seen. We had the money on day one. Like, we wanted to get that deal done ASAP. ASAP. Like, sooner than a week. However soon escrow could do it, you guys wanted to do Wednesday it. Wednesday comes around. I reach out to Code Enforcement, Fresno Police Department, every entity that told me I needed to contact them. Yeah. I gave them my contact, Jason's contact, and our assistant's contact. I said, we need to know everything we can know about the property in escrow because we're buying it in a week. Yep. In the meantime... We already are getting bids to trash it all out ASAP. So Greg, who had done the the yeah. the boarding, goes, dude, I'll trash this thing out. I'll be the best price. And I'm like, I 100% believe it. Also, you did me a huge solid just coming here at a moment's notice and working until 9 o'clock at night. And he goes uh, and gives us a quote. I think it was like $6,000, which was super reasonable for the amount of work there was. Uh, we got another yeah. quote for fifteen. So that tells you how big of a difference. So while we're waiting to get the trash out bid and done, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm getting calls every day from Fresno Police Department to come down to the house. And they're like, we need to give ownership of the property back over to you. you. We can't just kick somebody out and then leave it empty. So I'm going back every day with Greg and we're having to board it up. Mm-hmm. And so we had six police phone calls at all hours of the day. Um, the seller in the middle of all this. So date night's Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the one week mark. We close that day. He calls me at five o'clock. I'm thinking he's calling it, you know, great. We're done. I'm happy. And I had heard that he wasn't looking that good. And I guess what had happened was in the middle of escrow, One of the tenants who's related to him broke into his primary residence, beat him up, and then he got bit by a uh, brown recluse. And so I should probably send Jonathan the freaking photo. I don't know. I think that's against HIPAA. But dude, his arm had swollen up. He almost died in the middle of escrow. If that had happened, everything's fucked. It wasn't in a trust. It would have gone through probate. Yeah. The house would have burned down in probate. And so, you know, seller's having the worst time of his life. He got beat up. House car, broken into. House assaulted. Broken in, his house got trashed. His car was stolen. Bitten by, a brown, bitten by a brown recluse. On the verge of death. Literally in the hospital. Title and escrow. I've never in my life had a title or escrow officer call me and say, what happened to this seller? And then say, I think he's he may be dead. And I'm like, what? And they're like, we told him he needed to go to the hospital. And he wouldn't. When he came in for his final signing... We debated calling 911 to have an ambulance pick him up, but he fought us and said that he won't. And we told him, go to the bank, deposit the check because your family member will steal this check from you. The second you deposit it directly into your account, call 911 at the bank and take an an ambulance, right? He wouldn't do it. He ended up self-admitting himself, almost died, right? I already said that. And ghosts me for like two weeks. And I'm like, I literally was driving down to do a wellness check on him because I, I didn't know where his house was. So I look it up and I'm like, I'm going to go knock on the door. And Jason's like, go knock on the door because he could have been killed. He could have 
you know, he had health issues in escrow, according to the officers. Mm-hmm. Like, if he is not responding, we do need to call the police. So I'm driving down there and he sends me the photo of his arm. He's like, I'm in the hospital. I'm like, thank God you're alive. I literally thought you were dead. Like, you, like can I bring you anything? No, I'm all good, whatever. Oh and gosh. so that was the escrow period. <clears throat> that was all the craziness. So then we, we end up closing on the house, right? At that point, we're like, okay, the next step is to get it bid out. Again, this is a huge project. So we get our best contractor. We meet out at the house. He's walking through it with us. And we're talking through what we think it's worth, what we thought it was going to cost to rehab it, mm-hmm. what we're hoping to make. And he turns to us after we've walked the whole house and he goes, I would love to do this whole project for you, but I'm literally doing the kitchen for the neighbor across the street. And it's a hundred grand for his kitchen. He was like, this is going to be many many six figures and he goes i don't think you're going to make even forty thousand. he goes if i were in your shoes i would list it he goes i would list it as is i think there will be a homeowner who's got money who wants to live in the area who will buy it and they will fix it up exactly how they want and you guys won't be in a position where you're set to possibly lose money if this market changes and jason and i looked at ourselves and we were like well there, this was such an interesting deal. We can make so much content. We wanted to fix it and flip it because it's in an, a really cool area yeah. that we both went to. High, we went to a community college right next to. To us, it was like an opportunity to like really make something cool. But when your contractor is saying, "Do not do this. You will lose money," you're like, "What other option do you have?" Yeah. And so, at that point, Jason and I kind of put our heads together and we said, "Well, I mean." We wanted to flip it. This is what we wanted to do. But we've had these experiences where this contractor told us that it's going to be more than we think. And it always has. He knows something we don't know, right? He crawled the the foundation. He crawled, you know, everything that I didn't get to look at. And he, he said, you know, the foundation looks good. This looks good. But like this item, this item, this item, this item, this item, this item. He's like, dude, this is going to be like probably almost you know, 200, 250,000. And he said, I could easily see this going to 300,000 based on the way that you guys like to do stuff. So he was like, you know, a homeowner could do this for a lot cheaper because they're going to be patient and you guys want to get this done quick. Hmm. And so the whole time we're dealing with contracting uh, to get it cleaned out, we get that information and we looked at ourselves and we just said, we're just going to list it. And if we don't get an offer we like, we're just going to fix it up ourselves. Because it's going to be fun. And prior to listing, obviously, you guys do, you know, the six or $7,000 trash out, clean out. I assume taking care of draining the pool because that was something that code enforcement needed. I think we were 8000 at that point. Yeah, about eight, eight to $10,000 in after the plywood, doing everything. To just get code enforcement just off improved. our back. Yeah, just to get it to to even listable condition, if that's even I forgot what you to call s- it. Not really listable as is hill. Yeah. I forgot to even mention at one point the backyard neighbor called the police and I had to, the police go, you need to go talk to him. And I'm like, what the hell is your job then? I didn't say that because it been so cool to me. And I go, okay, yes, sir. I'll go do it. I go over there. Apparently the squatters in our house took gas cans filled with gasoline and got on his roof. And he has a cabin That's... and shaver that he was about to leave to. And he said, I have to stay here now and I have to pay two grand to get a security system because I'm scared. I live here alone. I'm an old guy. 
And I'm like, oh Shit. my God. So I have all these neighbors, city councilmen, all these people are up me, right? I'm getting calls from neighbors every single day. There's somebody there. Yeah, that's my handyman. Our handyman happens to be black and the all of the squatters happen to be Hispanic. And I'm like, is it a tall black dude wearing a bright yellow shirt with a work truck? And they go, yeah. And I go, that's my guy. If you see him, don't call me. If you see somebody else, you can call me. And I think Greg was getting annoyed by getting called out so much too. So it's like, I feel bad for him because he's not getting paid to drive from where he lives out there. He's only getting paid to check on the house if there's problems. Yeah. So, you know, we get to that point. Jason and I talked and we said, we're just going to list this thing for way more than we expect to make in hopes that whoever wants the discount is going to come in low. So we listed the house for 279 and we said, you know, there's a world where somebody could pay us that, but likely we're going to end up making somewhere less than that. And of course, anybody listening to this goes, yeah, to make 100,000 versus 40,000 with eight to 10 months of work, anybody would do the 100,000, right? That's the benefit of solving a lot of problems at the drop of a hat. So we listed the house and we ended up getting like 40 something offers. Morgan said by far to this day, it's the hardest listing she's ever had with the amount of interactions. I had people from all over ripping, social media. I'd be ripping my hair out, dude. Could oh. you imagine? I mean, we obviously we're both licensed. We've dealt with listings during and even during vacant, COVID she and put getting a ton of go stuff. Show. We put the notes, code my enforcement, police department. Gosh, dude! You know all these things that we're aware of. Um, we never actually there was like the the detective that was there told me that code enforcement was speaking out of line when they said there was fentanyl there. They said the code. The detective said that there's likely something there, but he said there's there's no evidence that would tell me that I can for sure se- like Say tell you that. Yeah. So there was some hearsay stuff that, you know, we, we had to disclose that wasn't necessarily like for fact. Fact, yeah. But we did everything we could to make sure anybody buying this thing knew what kind of a headache they were getting into. Yeah. And we still got 40-something offers. And we had a lot of low balls, but we had a lot that were over asked. Solid, yeah. Yeah, I think we had 10 over 300,000. And at that point, Jason and I were like, this is the right decision. There's absolutely no world, no matter how much we want to do this deal, to risk making 40000 versus a guaranteed 100 plus thousand. Mm-hmm. So we accepted an escrow. That buyer turned out to be a really big headache. Um, they did a home inspection. You know, it was a mom and a daughter who had the cash to live in it. The mom really didn't want the house. The daughter really did, but she needed mom's help. Hmm. Uh, the home inspector did his report. It was like almost, you know, 150 pages long. (laughs) He was like, everything's broken, which clarified to us exactly what we had already disclosed that we knew about. That anybody could probably see. We gave like code enforcement stuff and all that. Uh, But the the buyer had gotten into contract at 315 and escrow tried to play hardball and ask for a $50,000 price reduction. And we said, look, in good faith, we'll give you 7,500. But like, we're not like, we have seven other offers within 5,000. We're giving you 2,500 less than their offer. And we know those people personally. We only went with you because we wanted it to go to a homeowner, not a flipper. Mm -hmm. And they took the 7,500 bucks. So, I mean, at the end of it all, we sold it for 307,500. We paid commissions and closing costs and then 8,000 in repairs plus 150 purchase price. I think we made 
in the ballpark of like 130,000, 125,000. Have you driven by the house since? Fuck no. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm still getting calls. Uh, I was telling Jonathan about this before, our videographer. I'm getting calls still uh, from the tenants that are in prison because since this whole thing transpired, sellers often have seller's remorse about their decisions, right? And this is a hard topic, actually. It's a good thing to kind of wrap up the podcast with a, a short discussion on. Nobody's going to feel good selling the house for 150000 and then seeing somebody immediately list it and sell it for 300000 no, You feel like you got duped, right? But the reason the house was in the position it was in was because there was 30 years of bad decision-making and... I had no play in any of those decisions. And unfortunately, it costs me a lot of risk to take on a house like that. And sometimes we've lost our ass doing that. And you know that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we make a lot of money. And this was a cool story because we ended up making a lot. And it was worth all of the emotional headache and trauma and, you know, issues. Like I talked to my therapist about this guy because I was just like, so beat up about the situation. And even my therapist was like, you know, you can't control what other people do. And if you were honest with them and you paid really what you can pay, you have no reason to feel upset. Just yeah. because you make money is that's like part of your business model. Yeah. I've had this conversation a couple times. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. It's popped up multiple times in the past week or two where as we wrap up, it's looking at we got a couple minutes. Looking at two different things, right? The controllables and the uncontrollables, right? And, and as we're dealing with emotions, as we're dealing with relationships, as we're dealing with time, as we're dealing with money, right? A lot of things can go back and forth like that. We can get caught up ourselves in a lot of that and either be beating ourselves up, you know, getting caught in, in a bunch of different things. But it's looking at it, okay, is this a controllable? Can I control how open and honest I am? Yes. Can I control how respectful I am? Yes. Can I control how empathetic I am to, you know, what what's a controllable versus what's an uncontrollable? Can I can I dictate how code enforcement, you know, if if they decided to come and do the 30,000, right? If I did it, if you did everything in your power and listened to them to do the boarding and all that stuff, and yet they still came and, and decided to, tr you know, find $30,000, right? It's an uncontrollable. We can't control other people's thoughts, emotions, how they respond. As long as we are in the control of doing business the right way, having the head right on our shoulders, being open, honest, respectful, and doing business the right way, I think it, it's a good refresher and a good reminder as we especially head into this season of you know, like grind time. I think it's, you know, yeah, these, a little bit of turmoil. Yeah. I, I think these situations, um, I've dealt with a few cents are, are, and I, and I, and I think they're going to be more, more rampant prevalent. Exactly. As we kind of head into, uh, you know, this transition well, into the new year, the so. seller obviously had some frustration because he wouldn't respond to my text or calls to check in on his health. Right. That was kind of the first sign. And I said, you know, it's normal for a seller to be upset when they see somebody list a house right after they sold it. Then the home inspector reported back and through the grapevine got to me that the seller showed up during the home inspection and absolutely berated my character, which I took very personally and I, I need to learn not to. But 
called me a liar, a thief, all these things. And the home inspector actually knows me. And the home inspector apparently almost fought the seller over the comment. So it couldn't have been just some little offhand comment and tried to derail our escrow. And, you know, Jason and I got pretty frustrated. We were like, you know, we just did a lot for you simply because we wanted to help out. Yeah, we made the offer come to an agreement, but like we spent the money before we had even talked about price. We understood that we could lose eight grand on this before we mm-hmm. even had gotten there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then all of a sudden I start getting calls from the people that got kicked out and they're like, we want all our crap. And I'm like, code enforcement required me to trash everything out. Like if you have beef, you can call code enforcement, but like (laughs) the house got condemned. Nobody was allowed back inside only to trash out property. I talked with the seller about what he wanted to keep. I have photos that I sent him along with text threads with evidence that he was looking at it. And he said, go. (laughs) And so that stuff's all gone. I don't have any control on where it's at. I'm not the owner of the business. I follow orders from code enforcement. And I'm still like, I, just two weeks ago, I got a call from a phone number in prison. This is, this is so-and-so, just a first name. I used to uh, live at that house on Yale. I want my car back. And I'm going to get out of prison in December. And I'm going to come find you. And I'm going to come talk to you. If you're watching the video, look at me, dude. I'm 170 pounds. I, I'm not a gangster. I've never claimed to fucking want to... <laughs> be in an altercation i take that as a threat you're not gonna come text me and say you're gonna come find me my shit's all on public you know like online you can find my address quick that's a threat i'm not gonna take that lightly and he said yeah you know scott the old owner told me that you knew where it's at i'm going to get that car back so i call the trash out guy trash out guy calls the car guy car guy calls the that phone number tells him hey car's gone man car guys dealt with this right these guys hauling cars off of properties. This can't be the first time. And we'll see what happens. I have a feeling I'm going to have a conversation, right? But, you know, I think I have some frustration to deal with the seller because I felt like I did something right. I dealt with some internal turmoil about, you know, did I do the right thing? And all the people around me that have no money to gain from that deal going well, you know, they're all saying, hey, you did the right thing. So I feel like that's just part of the business is learning how to deal with people when they get upset, right? They want somebody to blame. It's hard to take the blame on themselves for making 30 years of bad decisions. 100%. Dude, what a freaking whirlwind of a deal. Like I said, dude, it's like a fever dream. Hard to remember all the details. Oh my gosh. And I, I mean, some of it, even some people might be like, dude, like there's no way, like no way, but no, like this is not even, this isn't hyperbole at all. We have so many stories, so many things, so many other deals we can break down, dude. That this is why I love doing these because it kind of uncut. It, you pull back the curtain on, you know, a, a lot of this stuff that a lot of people don't get to see. I know we try to do a good job of uh, of pulling back that curtain and, and sharing both the positive, negative everything in between on social media, but a lot of people don't. So that's why I like these deal reviews, dude. We get to pull back the curtain, talk in more detail than just a quick story on Instagram. So, um, dude, I'm looking forward to the next deal review. What a freaking crazy deal, man. And if Scott, if you heard this podcast, I hope that you understand by no means, am I trying to slander you or make you sound like a bad guy? You've got your own frustrations. Everybody does. Mistakes were made. Um, 
I'm glad that you're out of the position you are in. I'm glad that you lived through the spider bite. I hope that you're not dealing with the problems that you are with uh, the tenants or family members. But, you know, this is where it's at. And I'm glad that it all worked out. We'll wrap it up on that. Guys, thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Property podcast. We will be back next week. Of course, as always, we're a little biased, but we've got some great episodes coming up and lined up. And so uh, stay tuned. We'll see you next Thursday, 11 a.m. Boom. Boom.